0: follow as I read from the scriptures 2nd Samuel and uh, again in chapter 20 I'm going to read verses well in the middle of uh, verse 10 through verse 13 I've asked Mark Lawrence if he would ask God's blessing upon the proclamation of his truth 2nd Samuel 20 in the middle of verse 10 and Joab and Abishai his brother pursued <clears throat> after Sheba the son of Bikri and there stood by him one of Joab's young men and said he that favoreth Joab and he that is for David let him follow Joab and Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the midst of the highway and when the man saw that all the people stood still he carried Amasa out of the highway into the field and cast a garment over him, when he saw that everyone that came by him stood still. When he was removed out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bikri. Let us pray.
1: Holy Father, we seek you for your grace, Guide us in understanding your word. Thank you for all of your revelation, the testimonies of your servants throughout history, the life of King David. History and your care the details of their lives. Why don't you take heart when you see the complexity in our own lives. Reassured that you have the details under control and that you are not limited in your knowledge doing all things towards your glory. Lord, where you might be with David Farmer, our elder. You remind him of the things he studied. You might your Spirit work in him and you might highlight those truths he can impart to us? We can establish our lives thereby. Might we see your great mercy and grace through your revelation through the life of King David? Might we learn more of what your Son has done and how we can live our lives? such a way to honor you more and Thank you for this opportunity to assemble and to study, to reflect on your truths, pray you my bless this time. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. <laughs> I probably should have read a couple of previous verses to remind each of us uh, why Amasa was wallowing in his blood. That Joab had very uh, stealthily dispatched him with sword and, and uh, deceit, pretending to come to him and to kiss him in brotherly love as they were cousins and so on. And starting kind of in the middle of that verse, we're starting somewhat in the middle of that story, that account as well, Amasa wallowing in his blood. And it's fair for somebody that hasn't been here to wonder why was he wallowing in his blood. And, and uh, so it needs to be pointed out <clears throat> what Joab had done and so on. But there Amasa lay wallowing in his blood And then because of the consternation expressed regarding the people, seeing this horrific outpouring of blood, a lieutenant of Joab's cleverly covers the body, covering the blood. We mentioned last week about how this murder, this assassination was accomplished, how brutally it's not beyond the realm of truth to speak of Joab as a butcher. He indeed butchered his cousin Amasa. To imagine that anyone would be so brazen as to imagine that they could replace or displace Joab as captain of the host of David's armies. He did it in anger. Amasa was totally innocent. at least from that issue David had appointed him, whatever motives David may have had to do that, were not expressly told, but it seems like that he intended to remove Joab from that place of power that he had enjoyed for so long. But here is a mesa wallowing in his blood, all the butchery blood flowing out we noted last week how that there was blood in the scriptures referring to this account there was blood all over Joab's clothing even all over his footwear he had spilled blood all over the place there stood by to repeat this text there stood by him one of Joab's young men And said, He that favoreth Joab, that is, he was standing by the body of Emesa, wallowing in his blood. And he said, He that favoreth Joab and he that is for David, let him follow Joab. A little political cleverness, uh, putting it forward to these individuals that to follow Joab is intrinsically the same thing as following David. But a mesa lay wallowing in his blood in the midst of the highway, as we've already indicated, blood all over the highway, we can imagine. And some suggest that he wasn't dead yet, and that's why the term wallowing is used, that he was rolling around perhaps, bleeding to death. He was bleeding out, as they say frequently about such circumstances. He was wallowing in his blood. Blood all over the place. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, they weren't moving. He wanted them to follow Joab. Joab wanted the men to follow him to go and dispatch Sheba, the son of Bichri, that rebel. But they were standing still. They weren't moving. And because of that, he perceived that it was because of this horrific sight before them that they weren't moving. And so when the man saw that all the people stood still, he carried a mesa or his body out of the highway into the field and cast a garment over him or cast a cloth over him when he saw that everyone that came by him stood still. They all stood still. No one was proceeding when they saw that they stood still. When he was removed, out of the highway, out of the way, all the people went after Joab. When he was removed out of the way, when that body was removed out of the way, when that blood was covered with that garment or that cloth, the people went on after Joab to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bikri. Now, I'm not claiming that this is a type. There are, David is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And many times that's a struggle to see in the scriptures because David is also, as I have put forward some weeks ago or months ago, that David is a type of the average man, if we can put it that way, the average regenerate man still struggling with sin. He is a type of us, in other words, as well as being a type of Christ. But I'm not trying to. Insist that this is a type, but I'm admitting and I'm saying that when I read and began studying this It became in my mind and in my heart a type. It became a type for me a Mesa wallowing in his blood and the people not wanting to go on and I submit that if we take away from our preaching if anyone is to take away from their preaching the call to repentance in other words to cover up in other words to cast a garment over the problem the sins that men ought to repent of to cover up the need for repentance to take away the need that there is of blood to cover up the necessity of blood atonement in other words to put a garment over it of any kind and to take away the preaching of sin. Take away the preaching of sin, leave sin out of the message. That eliminates the need or the warrant for preaching atonement. Take away the preaching of atonement and you don't need repentance. And I'm submitting in this word today that most unregenerate sinners are blocked from the way, from continuing on the highway, if indeed they're on it. They're blocked by the call to repent of their sins. I'm reminded of that television personality with a talk show years ago, and I've mentioned this before that had a professing Christian on his program as a guest. And he allowed this individual after the break to lead the audience in singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. And so this individual after the break began leading the audience in Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And boy, this man stood up. Stomped his feet about like that and said, "That's what I don't like about your religion. I'm not a wretch. You see what I'm saying. Sinners don't like to be told they're to sinners. Sinners don't be like don't like to be called wretches. You take away the preaching of repentance, the preaching of a necessity of atonement. The preaching of sin. You take these out of the message. And then the people will go on. Like these men continued after this servant covered the blood. Then they went on to follow Joab. You take these things out of your message. You take them out of your sermon. Then the people will respond. They will respond to the call to come and be happy, happy, happy. All the time, time, time. this is the great cover-up this is the great cover-up it is so rampant yes in liberal churches I submit that it filters in the churches that don't consider themselves so liberal the great cover-up half of the gospel they present they won't talk about sin they won't talk about repentance they won't talk about the blood who needs the blood I'm not a sinner. I don't need to repent. I don't need my sins covered up. And so many of these men that preach gospels like this are preaching half of it. Men preaching a gospel of half-truth. you remember that axiom about half a truth? When half a truth is presented as the whole truth, it's a lie. And men preaching these half-truths are like Ezekiel's false shepherds. In Ezekiel 34, in the first few verses, Jehovah, our God, speaking through Ezekiel, we read, And the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, even to the shepherds, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, woe unto the shepherds, woe unto these men that are preaching a half a gospel and calling it a whole gospel, so that everybody can be happy. Woe unto these shepherds, these that claim to be shepherds, that feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. You kill the fatlings, but ye feed not the sheep. You're giving them half of a diet, half of a meal, half of the truth. The diseased have you not strengthened. Neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought back that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. Do you recognize what's described here in these things? The good shepherd, is he not described in these things? Did he not come to heal the diseased, to heal that which was sick, to bind up that which was broken, to bring back that which was driven away, and to seek that which was lost? But these shepherds, these shepherds, with force and with rigor, have ruled over the people, and they were scattered because there was no shepherd preaching a half the gospel. God says through Ezekiel, that amounts to there being no shepherd, no gospel, no saving truth, no sin, no repentance, no blood. He goes on in a few verses later, picking up at 17, speaking to these shepherds or these that consider themselves shepherds. Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have fed upon the good pasture. But you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture. And to have drunk of the clear waters. But you must foul the residue with your feet. Do you see what he's saying through Ezekiel? It's bad enough. You're setting this before your sheep. Before your ears. As the saving truth. But you even tread with your feet upon that which is the truth. You muddy it up. You foul it up. You distort it. You ruin it. You make it impossible to see because it's so muddied and unclear. Where you stand. And the only thing that you can say as far as where you stand. I want everybody to be happy. As for my sheep, they eat that which ye have trodden with your feet, and they drink that which ye have fouled with your feet. They're receiving this water and this food. They're receiving this false, pretended truth. They're feeding upon it. And it's disastrous because it's fouled and because it's filthy, because it's muddied. It's been trodden with your feet. What little good you have, you've trodden with your feet and you've destroyed it. And then they receive that and it destroys them. Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have done this? Oh, men and women, too, I suppose. Well, I know that they are. Individuals getting out there and claiming to be preachers of the word of God through Jesus Christ. And they're muddying the waters. They're fouling the pastures up. One of these false shepherds preaches a gospel, as he calls it, that is the, quote, the replacement of negative self concepts with positive ones. We don't want any negative concepts. We want all positive Pluses, no minuses, no sin, no repentance, no blood. We don't want to hear about that. To him. And I quote again, sin is merely the lack of self-esteem. Do you want that on a on a poster to put on your wall? Sin is merely a lack of self esteem. Well, all we have to do is teach you how wonderful you are and everything will be all right. And he goes on, if that wasn't bad enough, he says the greatest evil is to call men sinners and thereby injure their self-esteem. Whatever you do, don't injure their self-esteem. Don't let them even imagine that they might be sinners. You might hurt their feelings. You might injure their self-esteem. Don't do that. Whatever else you do, don't do that. That's the greatest evil. His message is that there is no need for one to recognize his own personal sin. Oh yeah I see sin around the world in this person and that person in that country and that country. But I'm not a sinner. I'm a pretty nice guy. No need for one to recognize his own personal sin. No need, therefore, for repentance. No need for the crucifixion of self. And he doesn't strengthen the diseased. Why? Why should he strengthen the diseased but he gives them something to cover cover over the symptoms he lays a cloak a garment a cloth over the blood of Christ he covers up the symptoms if indeed they have any symptoms that they are sinners before a holy God They cover up these things as this man covered up the blood of a Mesa they don't strengthen the disease neither do they heal that which is sick but they give them some spiritual quote-unquote spiritual narcotic to make them feel better about themselves the power of positive thinking you're not so bad you're a good person he doesn't bind up the broken, but only provides them with crutches. He doesn't bind them up. And he uses his favorite, one of his favorite little aphorisms when he says things such as people are not bad. People aren't bad. Just merely badly informed about how good they are. They need to be told about their worth and their goodness, their innate goodness. They need to have their self-esteem bolstered up. That's what they need. It would be an insult, this individual stated, to, to the integrity of any human being. It would be an insult to the integrity of any human being to call him a sinner. People are falling off the broad road into eternal hell, but they've got their integrity. Don't do anything to destroy their integrity the church's problem is that it has a God-centered theology it's had a God-centered theology for centuries that's the church's problem what it means this man says is a man-centered theology and there he is to give it to him this false shepherd ready to give it to him covering the blood Laying a garment, a cloth, a piece of clothing over it, anything that they can find, cover up the blood. Whatever you do, don't tell a man he's a sinner. Whatever you do, don't tell him that he needs a mediator. Whatever you do, don't tell him that he needs a Lord and Savior that has poured out his blood to save sinners, such as himself. He was asked in an interview. If he would ever address his audience as sinners. No, he said, I don't think I need to do that. My only concern is I don't want to drive them further away than they are. Again throwing a garment or a covering over the blood. Disguising it, taking it out of their view. I ask questions, he says, like, are you happy? Do you have any problems? This man is covering, has covered, is covering the blood. He's not a henchman of Joab like the man in our text. He's a henchman of Satan. Covering the blood. Pretending he's a Christian preacher. Pretending he's a proclaimer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually said at one point, I believe in positive thinking. It is almost as important as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Talk about covering the blood of the Lamb of God. It's hard to believe some of this stuff, isn't it? People are going to hell on the broad way and this man is there not only just guiding them on that way, but pushing them down the street, covering the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The way to tell the good religion, he said, is front to way to tell the good religion from the bad religion is whether it's positive. I have in large print in my study a small placard, paper sheet size, whatever that is today, eight and a half by eleven and a half, I think it used to be. Having written on it Romans 5 8, but God, but God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you praise God that Jesus Christ came and through His prophets and through His Word told you that you were a sinner? But God commendeth His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now that communicates the power of positive thinking, doesn't it? Even as Hebrews, where we read, and according to the law I may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and apart from shedding of blood there's no remission. Because blood has been shed, sinners are saved. Andrew Bonar, in his commentary on Leviticus, has these words to say about sacrifice and the atonement, saying, he kills the people's sin offering, talking about Aaron, the high priest. He kills the people's sin offering, confessing over it their uncleanness, transgressions and sins. Wait a minute! This man of the 20th century says, don't tell people about their sin. Whatever you do, don't tell them about their uncleanness, transgressions, and sins. Don't do that. But Aaron did it, confessing it. Killing the people's sin offering. He enters the most holy place as before to sprinkle the blood. This he does on the mercy seat and also on the floor beside him. And on the, on the side of the mercy seat. Blood all over the place. You know, <clears throat> Thus filling the holy place with the cry, Bonar says, of atoning blood. Over it he stands, Aaron, confessing Israel's sin. With strong crying and tears he enumerates their departures from the holy law. And spreads out before God in the light of his countenance. Their endless sins. Their transgressions of every form. Their uncleanness of deepest dye. But that blood sprinkled there raises its cry. The life of the living one is taken for the guilty. The life of the living one is taken for the guilty. And there's blood all over the place. Into to this blood, Aaron points for pardon. Bonar goes on to say, this is none other than a Gethsemane. The man of sorrows bearing our sins is here. <laughs> the removal of blood from the preaching of God's word Necessarily sets aside the preaching of atonement. And with the atonement being set aside, the reason for preaching blood, atonement may be happily discarded as well, namely sin. Don't need atonement, don't need blood, don't need repentance. Now there's an easy believism. I don't need to admit my sin. I don't need to repent of it. I don't need to confess it. I don't need any blood sprinkled on me. Just let me walk down an aisle or let me raise my hand or let me join a church or let me be baptized. I don't need any of this other stuff. Let's cover it. I don't want to see it and then I'll march on in my own happiness. I'll march on. We have men preaching to their hearers and they have not a word to say about sin. They wish to be only positive in their message. Only positive, that's that's the main thing. And sin, sin is not positive in their estimation. They're there to lift people up, not to tear them down. They claim they cover the body of a mesa. They cover the blood of the Lamb of God. But Isaiah says, he was wounded for our transgressions. I don't know what they do with this. They probably ignore it. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and Jehovah hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The life is in the blood. The blood of the Son of God, the blood of the Lamb of God, has provided, provided life for his peace. Through the blood and the gifts of faith and repentance, repentance for sin. He sent His Holy Spirit to convict of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. Oh, but that's so negative. But He sent His Son to die on that cross, to reclaim, to redeem, to reconcile His people through His blood. That's positive. Is it not? The life is in the blood. I embrace what one writer said when he said, Not until Jesus becomes a bloody Savior for me do I feel any hope at all before God Almighty. Not until Jesus becomes a bloody Savior for me, for me, a bloody Savior blood sprinkled all over me. His blood, the blood of the Lamb of God. God forbid that any kind of cover-up, any covering of this blood ever be pronounced from this pulpit. We know and we're familiar with this statement in Exodus 12. The institution of the Passover, the killing of the lamb and the blood all over the doorposts and the lentils. And what was it that God said to Moses with regard to this? You put the blood on the doorpost, you put the blood on the lentils. And when I pass over, when the destroying angel passes over, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. as i go on my way to slay the firstborn of my enemies when i see the blood i will pass over jesus said in john in john 653 verily verily i say unto you except ye eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood Ye have not life in yourself the life is in the blood except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood you have not life in yourself I've read where pagans referred to believers in the early church frequently as cannibals because they profess to eat the flesh of someone and drink his blood But Jesus said it, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have not life in yourselves. We could invert this statement, could we not? Invert this pronouncement and it still be true. If we we turn it this way and say, if ye have life in yourselves, that is God-given life through faith in the merits of Jesus Christ ye may eat his flesh and drink his blood in the form of these elements at his table. If ye have life in yourselves, God-given life, through faith in none other than the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ, you may eat his flesh and drink his blood. Let us pray. O Lord our God, (coughs) we approach the table of our Lord in fear and trembling knowing that we are sinners but we are sinners saved by grace and we approach the table with joy then joy in our Lord Jesus Christ joy in our Father in heaven joy in the indwelling God the Holy Spirit we rejoice to symbolically eat the flesh of our Savior to symbolically drink his blood at his table O Lord our God, remind us of these things and have dealings with our hearts as we partake of these elements, as we commune with Thee through Him, through these elements, these symbols of His body and His blood. Help us, O Lord our God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask Abraham and and Richard if you would help me to serve the elements.